Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're going to L.A., I guess it is now, and uh, so it's another West Coast game. You know, I don't know if they'll put it at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, or middle or whatever. So it's just, you know, something else they tell us to do, and we do it like good soldiers. Uh, reporters are getting paid more for 17 games, actually. That's good. Like, I, um... hey, I think that's great. Everybody <laughs> should. Mike Zimmer talking about the extra game that the Vikings will play this year. They will be at the L.A. Chargers in this rotation that will be happening along with the rotation that sees every team from one conference play all four teams from one division every given year. It's going to get more and more complicated. Bottom line is this year, Vikings go back to the West Coast. And Mike Zimmer, who's always salty about something, he's a lot like me. You're going to be salty about something, so you may as well pick the most obvious thing because at least you may get some sympathy. If you're not upset about that, you're going to be upset about something else. It's always good to have something that you can legitimately be upset about so others won't just roll their eyes and say, here he goes again. But that said, Shireen, here he goes again. Well, but I like the part where we're getting paid more, Mike. I didn't realize that. So I haven't. I haven't. I've tr- I've previously tried to negotiate such terms in my contractual documents to no avail. <laughs> so maybe we have to have a have a, a fresh negotiation now that this officially has happened. That we've gone to seventeen, and it's just a matter of time before we go to eighteen. Yeah, that, that's the thing. So many people are losing yeah. sight of yeah. this seventeen thing is a temporary arrangement. Eighteen is coming it's just a question of when it is mike and we know the bears voted against the 17 i'm wondering how many teams will vote against the 18 because i would expect there would be more than one but it means more money so it's going to pass when the owners vote on it for sure and players are going to gripe about it inevitably but the time has passed for them to do something about it this is going to 18 games eventually the question is when i i I still don't know why any owner would vote against something that, number one, everyone knows was coming. The league has wanted it for a decade, and it makes more money for these businesses. It's more inventory. And and it may be just a hollow gesture because you know it's going to pass anyway, so you can score some points with the players by saying, we were trying to keep it to 16, but come on. Unless, my only... My only explanation for why the Bears did what they did, they'd rather be 8-8 eight and eight than 8-9. Eight and nine. I, I, That's the only, <laughs> the only way to square it with the Bears' specific history and aptitude of their football team. Uh, speaking of 8-9, and nine, the Washington football team, Shereen, will have an opportunity to boost their record from last year, 7-9, and nine, to 8-9. And, nine. and I'm telling you, let me let me press pause on what we're about to play as it relates to Ron Rivera's session with the media yesterday. 
I'm going to have a hell of a time getting used to this concept of 8 and 9, 7 and 10, 11 and 6. I mean, we've got 16 games baked in. And I remember it was a tough adjustment going from 7 and 7, 8 and 6, 9 and 5, 10 and 4 back in 1978. But I'd only been following the NFL for five years then. This has been 44 years of 16 games. This is just, it sounds weird and it feels wrong to hear these these one-loss records premised on 17. Yeah, and let's remember too, Mike, a team can go 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. So it's still possible that a team could finish at 500, but it's a little more complicated to get there, obviously. But simple things, Mike. I was putting up a post last night about Jason Verrett, right? How many games he had missed. So I was trying to do all the possible games he could have played. So it took seven seasons times 16. And I'm thinking about, to myself as I'm doing this, well, this is going to change after this year. You're going to have to go, okay, how many possible games could he play? Like, wait, how many seasons were 17 games? How many seasons were 16 games? So a lot of things might get more complicated with 17 games from our standpoint for sure. And the one point that we made the other day when we drafted the potential rule changes, not rule changes, but the potential, I'm looking down at the at my sheet when I should be thinking, the potential records that could be broken by 17 games, you, you're going to have somebody play 18 games because there have been guys who played 17 because they were traded before their current team had a bye to a team that's already had a bye. You end up playing 17 games. Most recently, Emmanuel Sanders did that in 2019 when he went from Denver to San Francisco. All right, back to Washington, the team that was seven and nine and maybe will be eight and nine this year or eight, eight and one. Who knows? Ron Rivera talking about his quarterback situation and specifically the urgency to have what they don't currently have a quarterback of the future. And how do you feel about the concept of the quarterback of the future? You need your quote-unquote quarterback of the future. Do you, is that a pressure to define that now in this year? No. Um, no. no. Uh, and I say that just because of the fact that if you put all the other pieces in the place and, and now you start going forward, when that guy does show up, when that guy is in the right position, you can grab him. I went through it the other way my first stint as a head coach in Carolina. We drafted the quarterback of the future for us in the first round. Uh, and he was, lo and behold, the immediate future. I've always thought, wow, you know, if, if you could do it the other way where you put all the other pieces around and then go out and get your quarterback, man, that might be a pretty good situation too. Um, a lot of teams did that. I've seen a lot of teams that have, have, have had things in place and then drafted their quarterback the next year. Um, this could be one of these situations where we put all the other pieces in place and a year or two from now, the right guy's there and we can make that move. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, again, you just never really know uh, until you get there. Three types of teams in the NFL, Shereen. Teams that have long-term franchise quarterbacks, teams that are searching for one, and teams that have a guy that they're not quite sure whether or not he's going to become one. Washington falls into category two because they don't have one, and they need to be desperately searching for one. The problem is this year, they're not going to get one. It's not going to happen. They're not going to trade for Deshaun Watson. They're not going to trade for Russell Wilson. They are going to tread water with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Ryan Allen. There's too many of these quarterbacks last name Allen. Kyle Allen. Ryan Allen, Kyle oh. Allen. They know who we mean. I, Allen, Kyle. Former the, these backup quarterback. Court that doesn't matter to me at all. These backup quarterbacks where you can flip their last name and their first name and it still sounds like a real guy. Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick, none of them franchise quarterbacks, but last year they got to the playoffs without a franchise quarterback and they're just going to have to keep searching and hoping and waiting that they find a guy who will be their answer for the next 10 or 15 years or given the way these quarterbacks are playing nowadays, even longer than that. Yeah, you know, Mike, what's amazing is this is lowest Washington has picked since 2016. So you're you're thinking if they pick that high, why don't they have one of these guys? Why don't they have their franchise quarterback? Well, it's obvious, right? They dra drafted the wrong guy. Dwayne Haskins was their choice to be their franchise quarterback. It didn't work out. It was quickly over. 
the Haskins era in Washington ended very, very fast. So they're back at the drawing board to figure out who that guy's going to be. Now, I still think they could do what Philadelphia did last year, right? They drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. There's going to be a Kellen Mond or one of those guys sitting there late in the first round or in the second round that they could draft. And if they like that guy, you draft him and see what you have in him. Let him groom under Ryan Fitzpatrick for a season. Hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick is used to doing this. He, He did it last year in Miami and was replaced by Tua. So there is a possibility they could end up with one, but they're certainly not going to get one of the top guys, Mike. There's no way. Not the way it's been shaking out as more and more of these top guys are clustering toward the top 10. Ryan Fitzpatrick will have competition, Rivera said, and that's good. Look, I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Great for the game. Great for the sport. Great story. If you haven't heard, he went to Harvard. That's news to me. But he does have the propensity, when you finally believe in him, to implode and implode in a spectacular way to the point where he gets benched, and then when he gets a chance to come back, He's better than he was before, by far. So he's not a guy that's going to take you to the Super Bowl. He's a guy that could take you to the NFC East Championship, which is a low bar right now. But when Washington becomes a Super Bowl contender, it will be with a franchise quarterback. And I think that's part of what Ron Rivera is trying to build. Moving in the direction where you're putting the rest of the infrastructure in place so that when you do add a franchise quarterback, from wherever you may find him, whether it's a rookie who you draft or a veteran who falls into your lap via trade, via Tom Brady style, hey, look, I can go anywhere I want. Wow, Washington's got a pretty good team. All they need is a quarterback. So you just need to get the pieces in place. And then when the opportunity arises, you need to move to get the franchise quarterback. And the one thing that they need to do is keep Daniel Snyder locked in a closet somewhere so he doesn't force them to reach for a guy who really isn't ready to come in and be anyone's franchise quarterback, which they did two years ago with Dwayne Haskins. Even though Dwayne Haskins still would have been a first-round pick, I believe, 15 ultimately was too high. And also, we can't blame it all on Haskins. We've seen time and again. No matter how good the quarterback, you put him in a bad spot and and he, he, he's going to fail. And, and I think there's a chance... That's part of what happened here. That's what makes Haskins' arrival in Pittsburgh interesting because maybe Pittsburgh can turn him into the guy who was taken 15th overall. Yeah, his stay in in Pittsburgh will be very interesting, obviously with Ben Roethlisberger probably in in his final season, Mike. But, you know, back to Washington, I think they've done the right thing here with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You didn't get Matthew Stafford. He was your first choice, right? And, and we all know they tried to get in on that trade and, and couldn't make it happen. Deshaun Watson's going to be traded at some point, and perhaps for much less than what he originally was going to go for. So maybe Washington at some point ends up with Deshaun Watson as their quarterback. I don't know that it's going to happen before the season starts, maybe at the trade deadline, maybe after this season. But I still think that could be a possibility for Washington to end up with Deshaun Watson as their quarterback. But for now, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I think this is a great move for Washington because he can be that bridge guy. We've seen it, right? But there is a reason that he's moved around. There's a reason he's with his ninth team and learning his ninth playbook and there's also a reason why he's in his 16th season and has thrown passes to 61 different receivers. So he's been good enough to hang around this league, start a whole bunch of games, but not good enough to stick with one team. And I did a little research last night, Mike, looking at who all replaced him because you think he would have stayed somewhere for longer than what he did. But it's, it's not even a very good list of guys who've replaced him. It's E.J. Manuel, Zach Metzenberger, Brian Hoyer, Josh McCowan, and then, of course, Tua last year are some of the guys who've replaced him uh, in, in these different spots where he's been. So it's kind of interesting that uh, he's been not been replaced by any real franchise guy in the past other than Tua, who the jury's still out on whether he is that franchise guy. Yeah, his star really shone the brightest a decade ago when he got a big contract in Buffalo and they thought he was the answer and they quickly realized he wasn't. I mean, that that's... That's the you got to use fits in limited doses. And Brian Flores, the Dolphins coach, had it figured out last year 
when to get him in the game, when to get him out of the game. Get him out before Fitzmagic becomes Fitztragic and put him back in and let him work his magic like he did most recently in that Saturday night game against the Las Vegas Raiders when it was just spectacular. And we've seen spectacular from him enough to expect amounts of it, but we've seen the opposite of spectacular enough to to know that you better have somebody else. And if Fitzpatrick is the week one starter, there's a pretty good chance he gets benched at some point for Kyle Allen or Allen Kyle or Heineke Taylor. One of those three or four guys may have a chance to play. Plus, as you pointed out, the ever-present possibility that Deshaun Watson ends up being traded to Washington on a bargain basement rate. And the one thing we didn't know before the ugliness of the last 17 days first emerged for Deshaun Watson, we still don't know now. We don't know where he's willing to play. That's the one thing we didn't get from him. We got it from Russell Wilson. We never got it from Deshaun Watson, not with any kind of clarity, not with the agent going on the record to say, here are the teams, hypothetically, to which Deshaun Watson would accept a trade. The Dallas Cowboys were one of the teams to to which Russell Wilson was linked and until they got Dak Prescott signed, and there went that. Jason Garrett, who was the first head coach in the NFL for Dak Prescott, appeared with Morton Anderson on the Great Dane Nation podcast. Here is Garrett talking about his former starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. You know, uh, you know, we talk about the special people and the special players. We've had opportunities to be around, and, and he's just absolutely one of them. You know, we drafted him in the middle of the fourth round uh, in 2016, and, you know, Tony Romo gets hurt, and Dak comes in as a rookie and wins 13 games for us. And, you know, the success that he's had, um, you know, leading that organization. You know, he's, he's a fantastic player who's going to get better and better and better. He's a fantastic leader and a fantastic just person uh, to have in that position. So really excited for him, really excited for the Cowboys and for the NFL. I'm glad that happened. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't recognize Morton Anderson. I hadn't seen Morton Anderson in so long. I didn't recognize him. I, and this is a very inside Dallas reference. I thought it was Dale Hansen when it popped up on the screen, Shereen. I hadn't <laughs> seen Morton like Anderson Hansen. in so long. So, uh, so anyway, uh, boy, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't look. Put that back up. You got to come up with something better for Jason Garrett than 2007 <laughs> assistant coach of the year. He was the NFL coach of the year at one point. So, <laughs> okay, they cycled. They cycled. That's They're telling funny. me that they cycled the graphic. But no matter what your cycle is, that that's, that, that doesn't, you don't, don't put that up there. Uh, all right. Once had a paper route would also be up there if that is is enough. So what did you make, what did you make of what the former Cowboys coach had to say about the current Cowboys quarterback? Well, you know, they still have a close relationship, Mike. And, and when Dak Prescott went down in week five, obviously they were playing the Giants and, and Jason was there uh, supporting Dak. And I'll say this about Jason. You know, I, I don't know that the guy's cut out to be a head coach. Some guys just aren't head coaches. He, he didn't get it done in Dallas as a head coach. The jury's still out whether he's a good play caller or not. He did that in Dallas before he became head coach. I would say the jury's probably still out on that as him, as a play caller. But I think as a quarterback's coach and what he does with quarterbacks, I think you say he's really good at that. When you look at how he developed Tony Romo, how he developed Dak Prescott, and you think about where those guys were or weren't drafted in Tony Romo's case, he wasn't drafted. He was an undrafted free agent who Bill Parcells, Sean Payton found, and Bill Parcells knew enough to, to put him in the game for Drew Bledsoe, and, and Tony Romo lit it up. But Jason Garrett really developed him. And then it, he drafted Dak Prescott in the fourth round, and Jason Garrett really developed him. So I think we're going to talk about Daniel Jones shortly, but I think that bodes well if Daniel Jones has any bit of franchise quarterback in him that he has Jason Garrett around him as his quarterback's type coach. I know that's technically not his title, but he's really good with quarterbacks. But, you know, I, I think they still have a close relationship, Mike, and I, and I think that Dak Prescott owes Jason Garrett quite a bit for where he is in his career for that big contract that he got. And you make a great point about Jason Garrett. There are plenty of coaches who are so good as assistants, they earn one head coaching job, 
And then when that inevitably ends, they go back to being great assistants. They earn another head coaching job. And sometimes, like with Norv Turner on the offensive side of the ball, Wade Phillips on the defensive side of the ball, the cycle continues for a full career until someone finally figures out the best job for this person is coordinator. And that may be the case with Jason Garrett, but he did get interviewed by the Chargers in the most recent cycle, which stunned a lot of people and caused some applause in some circles, not here, of course. (laughs) We'll see if Daniel Jones becomes what, let's say Josh Allen became in his third season. We were surprised by the explosion from Josh Allen last year. We, we could be equally surprised by what Daniel Jones does with Saquon Barkley back and Kenny Galladay on the team and Evan Engram if he catches more passes than he drops and Kyle Rudolph now on the team. We, we, we could be saying, hey, this Giants offense is something, and then Jason Garrett's name is on more lists. Not that it helped Brian Dayball, the Bills offensive coordinator last year, but it could help Jason Garrett become a head coach again. Let's talk about the Cowboys, though. And it occurred to me that one of the problems with the Cowboys under Jerry Jones is that his tendency to sell, to hype, to talk things up, there's never a season where the Cowboys have lowered expectations. There's never any tempering of what people should be expecting because you've got Jerry Jones constantly creating the impression that he's got a great team even when he doesn't. So you got to cut through that smoke, and you really got to ask yourself, how good is this Cowboys team? What have they really done to improve? How can we trust what they've done defensively when the stuff they did defensively last year was such a disaster? But more importantly, on Dak Prescott's side of the ball, assuming he's going to be 100%, are they really a great offense right now? I mean, Dak was on pace for like 6,000 passing yards, and that's not an exaggeration, but that was only through four starts and into a fifth game against the Giants. But we've seen Ezekiel Elliott the past couple of years not be the guy he was early in his career. They've got great receivers, but the offensive line is struggling to stay healthy, and it's not what it was back in 2016 when the Cowboys were great. Is it is it fair to have these expectations that Dak's healthy and the offense is just going to take off? Boy, they do have questions, Mike. How's Tyron Smith's back going to hold up, and how's that neck going to respond? Zach Martin has a neck injury. Is he going to be okay throughout the entire season? Lyle Collins missed the entire season last year. Is he going to rebound at right tackle. You know, that offensive line at one time was the best in the NFL. There was no question about that. Perhaps one of the best of all time. But they aren't there now. And maybe they can get back there. But who knows? I mean, that's what the Cowboys are counting on, right? And and people say, oh, they're going to have a great offensive line. We don't know that. We really don't know that. We don't know that, that Dak Prescott's going to be 100% again. We just don't. I don't know how he would know that at this point. I think he's running a little bit, but, you know, he's not to that point yet where you know for sure that he's going to be 100%. So, yeah, I agree with you. This this is a team with a lot of questions. And even when they were going 5'11", 5'11", and 5'11", under Dave Campo, they had great expectations all those years. You're right, because Jerry was hyping it up. He always talks about the Super Bowl. He's not afraid to use the Super Bowl word, even though – the words because the Cowboys haven't been there since 1995. He's still willing to put that out there and put all that pressure on his team and on his coach. And it hasn't worked out since 1995. So absolutely. I'm with you. It's a team with a lot of questions of, can they rebound? Is Mike McCarthy, the coach for this team is now Dan Quinn going to improve the defense that much so that they're really good on defense again. It's a lot of questions. No question about it, Mike. The Cowboys offensive line has become a broader example of the dynamic that applies to one offensive lineman who becomes a pro bowler and all pro. Once you get to that level, there's a presumption you're always there. Joe Thomas continuing to check off Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl. He may be a bad example because it's not like he ever had a dramatic decline. But there have been guys where the name says Pro Bowl. The performance says maybe not anymore. And I feel like that's where the Cowboys are as an offensive line. They still have some of the same names, most of the same names. They still have this aura that popped up five, six years ago. But between the performance and the health or lack thereof, 
And, you know, D- Dak Prescott isn't Patrick Mahomes, but he does run around a lot and buy time for himself, which makes a bad offensive line or a mediocre offensive line look better. I, I just I-, I think that our expectations for the Cowboys are too high. And it just occurred to me today, one of the reasons they're too high, and I probably should have thought of this a while ago, but when Jerry Jones applies that everything is awesome, buy my product, this is great approach to his football team, you're never going to have reduced expectations. You're never going to have a lower bar that you somehow surpass. Everything is always positive and optimistic. And when you make a $160 million investment on a four-year deal, in your quarterback who isn't 100% yet, and there's no guarantee he's going to be, you, you have to sell even more because that's the centerpiece of your offseason. That's the reason to be optimistic. But I don't know how optimistic I am about these Cowboys. I don't know how I feel about Mike McCarthy as the head coach after last year. You know, we've talked about this before. The same folks who are bringing us this fix to the defense brought us the fiasco last year in one year under McCarthy. They hired Mike Nolan, and it was a complete and total disaster. So now they got Dan Quinn, and they're telling us it's going to be great. Well, what did you do last year to make us think it's going to be great this year? So I, I, yeah, I've got real concerns, and uh, you know we're spending a whole lot of time on the worst division in football today because they have quarterback issues that are relevant and interesting. But the Cowboys, Shireen, the Cowboys, uh, even with Dak Prescott, who's arguably the best quarterback in the division, they got a long way to go to get back to the top. Yeah, and I'll add a layer to what you said about pro bowlers being pro bowlers annually, like they get that tag, and so they're automatically pro bowlers. With the Cowboys, it's sort of the same thing. When you play with the Cowboys, you come in with an instant name recognition. They have more night games, primetime games than any other team. We know that. I mean, it's documented. They're America's team. I think they're. you and I can argue over that a little bit, but I think they're still America's team based on ratings and everything else, and people want to see them, whether they're rooting for them or against them. But the guys come in, and there's that instant, oh, this guy's going to be a star because he's got the star on his helmet, right? And it doesn't always work out like that. So they have some players on there who I think, I don't want to say overrated, but maybe that's the case. Maybe they are overrated. But they instantly come in and have name recognition and expectations and everything else, and they don't always live up to it. And you look at Ezekiel Elliott over the last two years since he's gotten that contract, he hasn't played up to that, frankly. And he needs to play better. But everything with the Cowboys starts out, they're going to be good if, right? Dak Prescott, if, you know, he's the best quarterback in the division if the ankle is good. They're the best offensive line if they can overcome all those injuries. They're a better defense if Dan Quinn can get them turned around. But a lot of ifs with this team right now. I agree with you. And I'll agree with you that the America's team label still applies, but they did get flexed out of a primetime game last year for the Browns. They did. First so, time ever. So, so, the, so the, the, there, there's, there's some wear and tear on that sign that says America's team outside the facility. You know, with Dak Prescott, who Jerry Jones was not going to let go under any set of circumstances as the quarterback, and Mike McCarthy as the head coach, and I, I Packers fans, you, look, we still have to deal with this from time to time. There was something going on between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. There was some degree of dysfunction. And I know McCarthy said he did cartwheels in the sand when he found out that Dak signed his contract, but McCarthy's got no choice. If he's going to be the coach of that team, if he's going to be the coach of any team, he's the coach of the Cowboys, and he's got to deal with the fact that they want Dak Prescott to be the quarterback. We really didn't see enough last year. There isn't enough of a sample size, Shireen, to to know that that marriage is going to work. Yeah, no question, Mike. And, you know, people point to the Cowboys and say, well, if Dak had stayed healthy – Again, we don't know that. This was a team with a losing record with Dak Prescott as their as their quarterback last year. In the five games he started, they won two of those. And we all know they shouldn't have won that Atlanta game. That was stupid on the Falcons' part to lose that game. So this was not a good team with Dak Prescott as the quarterback. So you're right. We haven't seen enough with Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy to figure out how that relationship is going to work on the field for a full season because he only played four and a half games last year. 
All right, Daniel Jones, quarterback of the New York Giants. We talked about him earlier. This is year three, an important year for him. Co-owner John Mara, recently meeting with the media, addressed the way the team feels about their former top 10 pick. We think the world of Daniel in this building. I think I've said that publicly before. I know our coaches feel very strong about him. We want to see him take the next step. I don't have any specific benchmarks other than, you know, let's win some more games. Um, I, I think he will have a better team around him this year than he has had in previous years. So we certainly expect him to take the next step, but I'm not going to put any specific benchmarks on him right now. I just want to, I want to see him continue to improve because I think he does have what it takes uh, to be a long-term winner in this league. Like any other owner, you're completely and totally behind your employee who has promise and potential until you're not. It all depends, I believe, on what happens this year, Shireen. I'm not a big fan on the idea that Dave Gettleman's on the hot seat. Joe Judge is only in year two. The Giants need to be a little more patient. I think that's been one of the problems. John Mara gets impatient every few years, and it freaks out his employees, and they tighten up. Just let, let You got four Super Bowl trophies. Go shine them. Go look at them. Go admire them. There's still plenty of teams that don't have one. You got to give things some time, and they got to give Daniel Jones some time. But in today's NFL, time runs out eventually on whether or not your quarterback can play, and I think we're going to learn a lot about Daniel Jones this year. Yeah, you know, Mike, when these guys used to be drafted high in the first round, they were there for a long time, right? You look at Sam Bradford because they had those huge contracts. And then we got the rookie wage scale and everything changed. So these guys now are getting two and three years and that's it. You look at the Dwayne Haskins and those types of guys and they moved on quickly. After they've been a first-round pick, the team's just said, hey, we've got to get better at this position. So I think this is a key year uh, for Daniel Jones to prove he is the guy. You know, I talked about the other day on, on PFTPM, his record as a, a starter in college and the pros combined is 25 and 37. He hasn't proved it yet. He hasn't proved that he can go out and win games as a starter, 8 and 18, uh, with the Giants, and he just has too many turnovers. That's been the thing for him. But I do agree with John Mara. He does have a better team around him this year. They've done a lot of things in free agency. They guaranteed $120 million. He has Kenny Galladay, and he has some other weapons with Kyle Rudolph. So he's not going to have any excuses. He's out of that now, so go out and get it done. Key year for him this year, Mike. The Twitter handle is at NFL Shireen for those of you out there who would like to quibble with her suggestion that quarterback wins are indeed a stat. Although we both agree that at some level, a good quarterback does help a team win football games, even though wins and losses in and of themselves don't reflect on an overall quarterback's Agreed. ability. The great, the great ones like Tom Brady, that's, that's the thing. You look at what Tom Brady did last year and you can't tell me that a great quarterback doesn't count for something when it comes to winning football games, especially the biggest games of the year. But the Giants have been to the playoffs only one time since they won the biggest game of the year 10 years ago in Indianapolis over the New England Patriots, and they really do have a lot of work to do. And I almost sense that there's desperation in the spending that happened this year in free agency. Desperation born of that, that anxiety created by an impatient owner in John Mara the money they spent, it didn't feel nearly as strategic, Shireen, as what the Patriots did. It reminds me very much, and I've said this a couple of times recently, of Jerry Reese, the year that he was on the hot seat before he eventually got fired, when he went out and he signed Janoris Jenkins, Olivia Vernon, Snacks Harrison, money, 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 money to make the defense better. I feel like this year it was just money anywhere and everywhere to address some of these weaknesses that they, they can't address them all in the draft. Let's go out and spend, even if we're spending more than we should. Let's just go spend because we've got to make the team better because if we don't, people are going to be fired. Yeah, and they feel like they've done that. And the jury's still out on whether they have or not at this point, Mike. But, you know, if I was go – and I don't know why because you look at Washington and I think they're better than, than what they were. And I think the Cowboys, as we pointed out, have the best quarterback in the division – but if I today was going to pick a team I thought was going to win the division, I think I would pick the Giants. And I don't know why. Again, I, it's just a feeling I have. 
Maybe it's Joe Judge. I just, I really like what he did in his first season. I, I just, I think the players, he's different than other Bill Belichick assistants. I, I just feel like after one year that have come into this league. And I just think he did a really good job. And maybe that's where I put my confidence in this team. But today, if I had to pick a favorite for the division, I would pick the Giants. Wow. Wow. Let's write that down. April 2nd. And it's not April 1, so she really means it. Thank God April Fool's Day is is over. By the way, folks, let me peel back the curtain a little bit. Shereen was very stressed <laughs> out that I was going to have some sort of reaction yeah. to my second COVID vaccination shot that I received yesterday. And I really considered, not for very long, but I did <laughs> seriously consider for a short period of time the possibility of texting her between the 6 and 7 a.m. Eastern time hour, 5 and 6 a.m. Central for her, that I really wasn't feeling well and she was just going to have to do it by herself today. Because I know that she, you, what, you, you have been having panic attacks all week over the possibility that I wasn't going to show up today. I knew when your second shot was, Mike, it was Thursday, and I kept saying, you better not be sick on Friday. I just knew it was going to happen, but glad you're feeling well and glad you're here, or at least faking it. Maybe it's just fake feeling well. Don't jinx it yet. We still have 90 minutes to go, and sorry, Eagles fans, we addressed the quarterbacks in the other three teams in your division, but we've said all we can say about the Eagles quarterbacks and um, you get to a point if you're we're an Eagles fan where you don't want to hear anymore. Let's take a break. When we return, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have spent, they have burned up cap space. They have done what they had to do to keep the band together. Are they worried about eventually slipping into salary cap hell? We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. There seems to kind of, I guess, be a misconception that you guys are going to be in some type of salary cap hell uh, because you are using uh, some some different strategies to construct these contracts like voidable years. Can you just kind of clear that up a little bit and you know, how much work is going to need to be done in the future with your cap situation? Well, there there's some corrections that you're going that are going to have to take place at some point down the road, but it's not gonna, we're not in a position. We're not putting ourselves in a position where next year we have to release a lot of good players. Um, we're going to be in good shape if we continue to just make sure that we that we make smart decisions and we do things right. Um, we're going to be you know, competing for, for years to come. Yeah, as long as Tom Brady's there. Look, I got no problem with them going all in and putting themselves into a future salary cap problem potentially because they wanted to win as many championships as they could with Tom Brady on the team, whether it's two years, three years, four years, however many years. We're seeing plenty of teams this year kick the can into future years because of the drop in the salary cap. That's what's prompted a lot of this voidable year stuff because whatever the cap is, 2022, 2023, 2024, it's going to be higher than it is now. So if you can take some money this year and push it into future years, and those dollars don't inflate. So a dollar this year 
means a hell of a lot more than a dollar next year and the year after and the year after because you're going to have a lot more of them to spend. It makes sense. It makes sense. And for the Buccaneers, who went all in seemingly for 2020, and it worked, still have the window open to stay all in for 2021. Why wouldn't you do it? You're operating on house money at this point. You've got a Super Bowl championship. Even if you fail this year, you still got one from the Tom Brady experiment. So I, I fully support it. I, I fully expect they're going to have cap issues later, but I just I just don't think you should care. I think that's the true answer. We don't care. We're going for it now, Shereen. Yeah, the Bucks are worried about this year, and they're worried about next year because that's the window, right? That's that's the given window. Now, maybe Brady, who turns 44 in August, plays even longer than through 2022, but that's what they have right now. They have this year, and they have next year to try to win another Super Bowl or two more Super Bowls. Who knows? But they've put the team back together to, to be able to do that. I have no problem with that. If they, if they get in salary cap hell in the future, which I don't know that they will with the cap going up as it's going to go up, but if they do, who cares? You've gotten your Super Bowls out of it. I guess my question for the Bucks, who, by the way, are going to return all 22 starters. It's the first time a Super Bowl champion's done that since 1979. But I guess my question is, when do they start looking for that franchise quarterback, the next guy, the guy who's going to replace Tom Brady? Is it something you do... Again, I think you go all in this year, so I'm not sure you spend that 30-second pick if there's a quarterback you like there. I'm not sure you even do that this year. But when do you start looking for that guy who's going to be the next Tom Brady? Do you wait till he's gone, or do you do it over the next couple years, Mike, and let him learn under Tom Brady? And, of course, the parallel was last year when the Green Bay Packers had a great team and opted – to draft the replacement, eventual potential replacement for Aaron Rodgers in the form of Jordan Love. But the difference is the Packers had real needs elsewhere on the team. The Buccaneers don't. They have the luxury, and that's another topic that Jason Light addressed yesterday with the media, of looking for players who maybe will need a year or two to develop quietly and behind the scenes because they don't need them on the field this year or next year because they have all their starters back and you know you said something there Shereen that I I can't I can't let pass because there's there was a a nonchalance to it that is a reflection on how good the Buccaneers are right now the fact that we could throw out the possibility of them winning three in a row something that's never happened before but wouldn't that be the ultimate off-ramp for Tom Brady to to this year become the first team since 2003-2004 to go back-to-back, a team quarterback by Tom Brady, and then for his final act as an NFL quarterback, he does the thing that has never been done before and likely will never be done again. Three in a row. Three for three. It's ridiculous to even entertain the thought right now. Or, Or is it? Is it ridiculous to even consider the possibility that next year at this time we're going to be talking about whether or not Tom Brady has enough gas left in a soon-to-be 45-year-old tank to make it happen one more time and then walk off into the sunset. I don't think it's crazy to have the conversation when you've got a Super Bowl champion that's bringing back 22 starters and went from 7-5 and five to 8-0 and oh as they got better and more comfortable and more effective as they got to know each other and they began to gel. All those guys are going to be together again this year. I don't think it's a bad thing to have the conversation. And when you have Tom Brady, you have a chance, right? You have hope that that's what he brings to a team. And we, we saw it this year, but how hard is it to do that? This time last year, we were talking about the chiefs potentially winning two in a row and maybe three in a row. And it didn't happen. And the chiefs themselves were talking about, Hey, I want to win seven Super Bowl rings. We have a team built to do this. And the chiefs found out what Tom Brady long has known Winning one Super Bowl is hard. Winning back-to-back Super Bowls is harder. And it's going to be harder for the Bucs. They're going to face some adversity this season. They're going to have some injuries that they didn't have last year. You look at how healthy they stayed last year and how COVID-free they stayed. And that's part of the reason they won the Super Bowl. So they're going to have some adversity they're going to have to go through. But we can certainly have that conversation because when you have Tom Brady – 
I do think you have to consider that possibility because he is that good. He's the GOAT. There's a reason he has all those Super Bowl rings, seven of them now, and counting. And even though things went stunningly easy for the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, let's not forget, they had to thread some needles. They had to sweat out some games to get there. The game at the Saints, the game at the Packers. You know, it reminds me a lot of what I was saying last year with the 49ers when Kyle Shanahan made the comment of, you know, what are you, what's your goal for this year? What are you trying to do? Well, we want to try to get back to the point where we're up 10 points in, uh, you know, in the, in the second half of the Super Bowl. We want to get back to that point. Well, that's finishing that is the easy part and you failed. The hard part is getting there. And a lot of things have to go your way. They're going to have road games this year with fans in the stands. So if they don't earn home field advantage in the postseason, the next time they go to New Orleans in the postseason, it's going to be louder. It's going to be harder to operate. They go to Green Bay. It's going to be louder. It's going to be hard to operate. This was the year that was tailor-made for a wild card to run the table, 2020. It's going to be harder to do it again. But but, but when you look at how they they finally got it together after the bye last year. If they can come out of the gates, and that's what's going to be important, and that may be why Bruce Arians recently said his plan for training camp is to beat the SH dash dash out of them. And he said that on a podcast, Loose Cannon's podcast, I believe. You can't falter early. You've got to rack up 13 and 3, 12 and 4, and have home playoff games because the next time you go on the road in the postseason, it'll be a hell of a lot harder than it was the last time. Yeah, Mike, there's no question about that. Not having fans in the stands certainly helped them, especially in New Orleans and then in Green Bay. But, you know, that Washington game, you even mentioned that one in the wild card round. That wasn't exactly easy. Tyler, Taylor Heineke kept bringing the Washington back and bringing them back and kept them close. And he always felt like Tampa was going to win. But until the, clock, the time ticked off the clock, you weren't positive that was going to happen. So that was even a tough game. For the Bucks, so nothing's easy. Nothing's given, and, and they're going to start back from zero going into this year. They're zero and zero again, but they have a better chance, I think, to win the division this year with Drew Brees gone from New Orleans and all the sour cap problems they had. The players they've lost in free agency. I think it's going to be a little bit easier path for the Bucks to win that division. Now it's a question of can they get home field advantage throughout the postseason. And that's what makes the schedule that is coming out mid-May. Usually it comes out before the draft, but they're holding it this year because they had to go back and do some extra work with the 17th game added. That's what makes the configuration of the games. We know who and where. We don't know when. You get your schedule loaded up early with tough games, and you lose some of those games, and who knows what impact that has on a team that has that presumption of being there in the final group of franchises in January, or if you start off early or easy early and you've got games you can win and build some confidence, continue what you did last year, that lays the foundation for the tougher games down the road. So that schedule is going to be critical for all teams, but specifically for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, beginning with the game that they host on NBC to start the season how tough of a game will that be? Will they be 1-0? Will they be 0-1 right out of the gates? Antonio Brown, will he be on the team? Will he not be on the team when we're in Tampa to start the season? Bruce Arians recently said that there are offers that have been issued to Antonio Brown. There was a report yesterday from NFL Media that Antonio Brown and the Buccaneers aren't close on a new deal. Shereen, I think the problem is fairly simple. There's no one else yet who has stepped up to roll the dice on a guy who imploded before our eyes two years ago. Well, and the other thing, Mike, is he has all his problems. And on top of that, it's a good receiver draft. It was some good receivers, some decent receivers, second receivers probably other than Kenny Galladay uh, in free agency. So there are just so many receivers now. I look at that position as MDS looks at the running back position. I just think you can find those guys and you don't need to spend all that money on a receiver especially one that has as many red flags as Antonio Brown has. And frankly, if I'm the Buccaneers, I know Tom Brady wants him back. That's the only reason I even make an offer to him. Other, otherwise, I'm going with Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. I love what those guys did. They made some big plays in the postseason, bigger plays than Antonio Brown did in the postseason that helped the Bucs get there and helped the Bucs win it. So I want those guys on the field more than I want Antonio Brown on the field for sure. But we all know it goes back to Tom Brady and 
he usually gets what he wants, and we know he wants A.B. So I would expect A.B. to end up on the Buccaneers at some point this season, whether it's at the start of the season or once the season starts. Didn't have a big year statistically, in large part because he didn't have a lot of playing time. And after the bye week, his playing time plummeted. But when they needed him, when Mike Evans had that knee injury, I think it was week 17, we saw Antonio Brown have a big game. So I I think the money, the opportunity to play more, those are things that may draw him elsewhere. But who's going to make him an offer? That pending civil lawsuit should have teams concerned. I haven't heard that it does, but it should because even though trial isn't until December, he's going to testify at some point. There's a chance, based upon his history of testifying, that it goes off the rails and it could complicate his ability to play this season. Let's take a break. When we return, there's another team to keep an eye on as it relates to a possible sale to Amazon mogul Jeff Bezos. We'll tell you which team can now be added to that short list when PFT Live continues right after The L.A. Chargers, out of the clear blue sky, powder blue sky, I guess, yesterday, are in an ownership drama involving the Spanos family. This is something that was on no one's radar screen. A sister of Dean Spanos is pushing for the team to be sold. Look, it's complicated. I've got all the paperwork. I am using the fact that I got my vaccination yesterday as an excuse for not studying it yet. My understanding is there are some inaccuracies in the L.A. Times article that teed this issue up. But the bottom line is Alexis Spanos ruled. Michael Spanos and Dean Spanos stand ready to purchase the interest owned by their sister, who is pushing for the team to be sold. And there are rights of first refusal and other devices like that. The argument is the team's losing money. The team owes too much money. I don't know who's managing the assets, but the idea that any NFL team in this climate is losing money, even with no fans last year, seems a little ridiculous to me. Now, I understand big, not expansion fee, but relocation fee and other expenses associated with the move from San Diego. But uh, I I think this one is way too early to come to any conclusions as to whether or not Jeff Bezos is going to have his opportunity to buy a team. But it feels like the disgruntled sister is trying to maybe set it up for someone like Bezos to come in and buy because his name specifically mentioned in the paperwork that was filed that he's a guy who's worth $180 billion and is ready to buy an NFL team. And it sounds like it sounds like this Spanos family member would like to cash out and take the premium that would come from Bezos buying the team, Shireen. And why would anyone want to sell an NFL team, Mike, unless you're forced to sell because – the Chargers, for instance, are valued, according to Forbes, at $2.6 billion, and that number's only going to go up with the TV deals that they've recently gotten. So it's amazing to me that, that anyone would even think about selling an NFL franchise. The question is, when do you cash out? And sometimes people want to cash out, and the values will keep going up. But I think that they believe, at least the sister believes, they can get Bezos to pay a premium over that $2.6 billion right now. Quick break. Another hour still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 